Welcome to episode 78 of G.I. Joburg, G.I. Joburg friends. This is our festive season episode. Can you smell it? <laughs> I can hear sleigh bells ringing outside my window, which is only funny because it's like 30 degrees centigrade. My name is Steven, and I'm joined by my willing and able cohorts, um, <laughs> Santa's little elves. <laughs> 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 Did you just call me Alf Paul? <laughs> am, am, am I supposed to make like really on the nose jokes now? Who else we got in the mix? Who's uh, mm. dragging a bag down down a chimney? Uh, Special Missions Cujo. I'm going down the chimney, guys. Oh yeah. And who's riding up front in the sleigh? Uh, Jingle Bells Paul. Very good. And today we have a rather jam-packed agenda. But the overarching theme, Joes and Cobras in isolation. G.I. Joe and Cobra were both opposing factions that often worked as teams, but of course, also had their solo operatives. Tonight, we talk about Joes and Cobras acting alone, and who tops our list as the most lonely Joe. Sorry. And all the little lonely vehicles, everyone. Come and check out them yes. lonely little vehicles. Who's the best loner? Vehicle. Who is the best loner and also single-seater vehicles? G.I. Joburg used to make a name for itself back in prehistory for always having a top five or top ten list. This is the thing that we love doing and by virtue of the fact that you're here, you guys love listening to. So we're Aaron's. doing a top five... <laughs> Small vehicle list. G.I. Joe and Cobra had plenty of single occupant vehicles, which would be perfect for our lonely Joe or Cobra. So we're going to do a rundown of our five favorites. But first, Give it to any it. new stuff you guys got? <laughs> it's a very valid question. Anyone got some new Joes to talk about? Um, I got my nose in some G.I. Joe comics lately. I'm still in the IDW but I'm in the special missions at this point. And the first special mission in that comic series, I definitely recommend uh, that. It's an underwater adventure. You know I like that. Nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can tell Kujo likes playing with his toys in the bath. I do. I, I like a shower better. But let me say something about IDW real quick. Reached out to them on two levels of social media, Twitter and their website, PR Dude. Just saying we'd love to review some of your stuff. Maybe get some cooperation. Nada. So uh, an another company killing it with the social media. Good job, guys. <laughs> you heard it here on G.I. Joburg. <laughs> I'm, I'm not always going to drag it down, but I, I will I will call you out if, if you're slacking. I, I love your comics, IDW, but, but where are you at? Well, quickly speaking about social media, now that, you know, just to, well, you know, about companies and reaching out and touching people. And the other day, Facebook actually recommended that I follow G.I. Joe, the brand, which uh, clearly means that they've only now recently set up a G.I. Joe, the brand Facebook page. Because I remember searching G.I. Joe in Facebook and the actual G.I. Joe Facebook page never, ever popped up. So uh, it looks like somebody got Facebook looking at you. Cheers. Hey. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> so that's amazing. Kudos to you guys. Uh, it's a step in the right direction, I guess. Let's get into our definitive sculpt section. Oh, yeah. 
I think it's time we touch on G.I. Joe's premier Bear Grylls survivalist, Stuart Selkirk, a.k.a. Outback. In 1987, with a white t-shirt and the immortal lettering, Survival, stitched across the chest, he was a burly-looking dude who made his comic debut field-testing a bunch of new-fangled G.I. Joe rations and survival equipment, which he complains to Hawk promptly fell apart the second he got out there. So he had been living off the land and living good, like a true survivalist should catching his own meal and cooking it. <laughs> and I must say in that opening issue, I think it was uh, 56 or it was in the 50s, Outback seemed like quite the badass. He immediately after completing his mission probably has a nap on the top of a havoc and through his half-open eyes is able to figure out that uh, the birds that are attacking them are not in fact indigenous to the area at all but are in fact bred for the kill. <laughs> anyway, so he he probably becomes uh, quite the feature of that episode, the only guy who seems to have a game plan using the slam, or attempting to use the slam, to take pot shots at Cobra Commander's Pogo. But we're not talking about comic book appearances, we're talking about definitive sculpts. Guys, which action figure characterized Outback for you the best? I based my definitive sculpt uh, with my modern eyes. I went and actually looked at all the available outbacks and sort of decided to choose the one I felt was the best. And uh, it started, you know, drumming up a lot of memories of Outback. The thing is, I didn't know that this dude existed until Steve sort of presented him to me. And that's only half true. You see, I did actually know about this character, but the way that he was presented to me was completely different to the one that we see here. And although Steve has mentioned the white shirt, green pants version, I got to say that comes in a good second best to my favorite version. And I'm going straight for the jugular here, guys. The Tiger Force Outback, which I feel is the coolest looking Outback and also <laughs> the Outback that I know as Outback. You know, uh, this is a, a figurine that was in our catalogs, uh, in the European catalogs. And, you know, he has white hair as opposed to the red hair. He's got this um, spanking orange T-shirt with like a... It's meant to be a tiger, but it looks like an angry cat emblazoned across <laughs> his, his chest. Um, and, uh, you know, he's looking pretty awesome there, I got to say. I, I, I love this version of Outback. And, you know, as kids, I don't know, some of the names you remember, some of the names you don't. But when I realized that the guy that Steven was showing me was actually like the redhead version of this whitehead guy. Then I kind of put, you know, two and two together, but I got to say, yeah, Tiger Force Outback is probably my favorite version of Outback. And I would also go as far as saying he's probably my favorite uh, figure or favorite character in the Tiger Force line. I know he's super expensive and all that stuff. And that's not what makes him appealing. I just love how disco he is. I mean, this is, as Steve said, 
uh, a tough-as-nails survivalist, and here he's wearing his orange cat shirt. you got to have some balls to wear that, man. Do you have so. a response to that, Kucho? No, I, I, I think, like like he said, straight for the jugular. Uh, it's, a, it's a good pick. It's not mine, but it's definitely flamboyant. I mean, he's... He, he's he's good for a battle against uh, Pimp Daddy Destro, I guess. <laughs> Skin that coat. You know, I would have loved to have said modern era outback, but the thing is, and let's be fair here, guys, there isn't a really great modern era incarnation of outback, and, and that's a shame. Joe. Yeah, they're all Frank and Joes. He's got funny proportions. His face sculpt is great, but it looks a little bit sleepy. <laughs> Chuck Norris esque. Yeah. And that's kind of – it's a redeeming quality to it, but it doesn't quite have that, like, gruff look in his face that the, the original vintage figure has. And then they did this newer version, which has got much better tooling, uh, but it uses Snowjob's head sculpt, and I cannot get away from it being Snowjob um, because, personally, that head sculpt is so Snowjob, it's it's just difficult for me to divorce myself from it being Snowjob. You know, they could have just – put the original Outback's head on that new mold, but hey, whatever. I'm going yeah, to support me, your choice, Paul. I only have this to add. If original, original Outback wasn't wearing a white t-shirt, I'd say points off for Tiger Force Outback having an orange t-shirt. But if you're going to come out onto the battlefield with a white, you know, muscle-hugging shirt in white... <laughs> It might as well be orange. I mean, you're not you're not effectively camouflaging either way. But the thing that the True. Tiger Force version adds, and you mentioned it as well, is the white hair. And until you actually evaluate it and take a look at the card art with the white hair, you're still placing your frame of reference on a red-haired outback. But if you allow mm. yourself to take the leap of faith, suspend your disbelief, and give him this white hair, it obviously ages the character and gives him a level of experience that makes him an important asset to the G.I. Joe team as a mentor figure. You know, he Hmm. is a master of survival. The Joes are probably in their late 20s, maybe early 30s, mid-30s for the latest in terms of the sort of active personnel on sort of strike teams or whatever. But survivalist outback is a guy who spent years and years of his life in the backwaters of the world. And he looks weathered as a result. He has to have aged, you know, he has to look a little bit older, in fact, a lot older than the boys. But he is still in immaculate physical condition, as evidenced by his heavy set. I mean, he's got a much thicker build than than he perhaps needed to have. But it just goes Mm -hmm. to show that this guy... Not only is he a survivalist, but he is he's tough as nails. He's a big, burly dude. And the white hair just enhances that backstory for me in a way that the red hair never did. Because you said it, it's a reuse of Snowjob almost. The bright, yeah. bright red hair and the beard, it's like Snowjob in his jungle fatigues. Yeah. So that doesn't give him character and doesn't do what a definitive sculpt should do for me. And that's like, yes, now I see a character. And that's what I get from Tiger Force Outback. So, yeah, seconded, Paul, all the way. And Rock and roll. Long may my efforts to secure one last, because I've been thwarted more times than I care to mention on this damn podcast. Urgh. 
I'll open yeah, one day. If anybody's listening, G.I. Joburg is in the market for not one, but two vintage Tiger Force Outbacks. But we'll settle for one. Yeah, we'll settle for one and we'll just, like, beat each other to death over it. <laughs> two enter, one leaves. Does anyone have a different definitive version? You guys make a nice argument, but, I mean, I, I still think the original is probably cooler. I mean, yes, he's got, a, like, a big white shirt on, but you imagine it gets dirty while he's out there. And then also, he's got this giant backpack. He has to have, like, a similarly colored jacket to the pants he's wearing. So, I don't think that's points against him. And I like that he looks like Chuck Norris, you know? That's always what kind of sold me on him, was that he is very Chuck Norris. Nice. You know? And I, that's why I just bought that he was the awesome baddest I always thought he was, because he, he's Chuck Norris. So, I'm going to go with the original version, not with the Father Christmas <laughs> outback. <laughs> Santa, oh. Santa back. Hey, well, it's in keeping with the festive season theme, come on. Oh, no wonder you chose him. Oh, okay, so you're biased because of the season. Cool, we, me and Kujo forgive you then. We've also been very good, and we're also hoping Santa brings us one. I have seen a very decent Outback figure. You guys haven't seen it yet, but uh, Jim knows what I'm talking about. Cheers, brother. Yeah, I mean, for my definitive, uh, just to just to dissent you gentlemen... I, I think I'm gonna go with uh, Night Force Outback. I, I understand it's just a it's just a repaint, but I do like kind of a monochromatic look. It's it's a little understated, and he does come with the flashlight with the red lens, which really that's that's a nice accessory. I'm kind of surprised Outback doesn't have a uh, animal companion, to be honest. He ate the animal companion. Come on, it's dude! In right, him. You got me. You got me. You got me. Nice. Um, but I do, his card art is something special because he almost looks like Washington crossing the Potomac a little bit, a little bit. He's got that same, same, uh, stance. Uh, so I'm going with V2. I, I like V1 too. Except he's not wearing an immaculate wig. You fucking um, Americans, you terrorists. Well, dude, I mean, like, if you're talking like the, the GI Joes that epitomize the blue collar American, you got to look at Duke and Outback. I mean, those guys are both like, you know. Oh, and Outback has a nice uh, eagle belt buckle. Uh, there's some symbolism there. Maybe he can communicate to eagles. I can imagine I some so. kid. I can imagine somebody in their childhood like years, you know, going, oh, he's got an eagle belt buckle, which means he has a psychic connection to eagles. And then <laughs> borrowing freedom. Arr, eagle attack. Okay, you got me. I probably would have been that kid. I take it, Kujo, it doesn't bug you that Night Force Outback has this curious case of, like, a wife beater over a t-shirt. <laughs> oh, you're, you're talking about the, the, the sleeves are two-tone. No, it actually, that, that doesn't bother me at all because it kind of evokes, it kind of evokes like a jersey a little bit. So I, I, it doesn't bother me. Nice. Nice. Maybe it's a cultural thing. It gets too damn hot here to do that, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, dude, style over substance. You know G.I. Joe. Oh, we know oh, G.I. Joe. <laughs> All the way down that's to having right. a, a cartoon kitty on our orange t-shirts. <laughs> no, that's style over substance, <laughs> if you ask me. Cheers. So that's two for uh, Tiger Force Outback. Not two. I said one for the original. One for the original and one for Night Force. Yeah, so that's two for that. Oh, and two, well, two for Tiger Force. Oh, I thought you said Night Force. Sorry. Oh, well. Oops. That's a whoopsie. More cowbell. Now we're talking isolation, Joes and Cobras. 
guys that worked better alone or perhaps were forced into solitude because of their function or just their general demeanor. Mm. Who wants to kick this one off? I'll be obvious. I'll get myself out of the way. This topic feels right because of this month and many Joes feel alone. But I'm going to go with a deep six. I'm going to go route one. Uh, his file card says it. He'd rather be alone. Dude's, uh, you know, in that big eggshell. So really, as a figure, he was the loneliest figure because less articulation than Star Wars. I mean, he's just not getting touched. And none of the kids wanted to play with him either. Exactly. Exactly. One is the loneliest number. Three dog nine. No, when you're in a bubble, dude, you're alone. So, I mean, deep six for me. Nice. I like it. I almost settled for deep six myself, Kujo. The file card absolutely does speak to that, whether it's his penchant for bottle cap collecting or the fact that he enjoys recording whale songs. I mean, the guy loves doing solo activities, and he picked deep sea diving for that exact reason. <laughs> without swivel arm battle grip uh, solo activities become rather challenging indeed (laughs) there is one sphere of operation that is even more lonely than the bottom of the ocean and that's outer space wow find another race I'm going to send him to outer space to find another race. Pick a key, any key. So, outer space. We have a handful of space operatives, or astronaut Joes and Cobras, coming to us in smatterings throughout the years. Pre-Star Brigade, this was happening very sporadically. And in 1999, you got a lonely, single-carded G.I. Joe operative codenamed Countdown. He was the only single-carded astronaut, save for Astro Viper, and I don't suppose he made friends with the Cobranauts up there in the big... um, expansive space so in many collections across the world this character this figure was representative of a play pattern that you didn't have anyone else to join him on purely on a toy standing david Dubosky, aka countdown was alone unless you had a defiant which i mean let's face it not many of us did Or, of course, the Crusader shuttle, which was released in the same year as Countdown was. Unless you had these big ticket items, you had this lonely, white-clad astronaut G.I. Joe going on adventures solo. Of course, in my play patterns, he was actually just the jetpack-wearing, death-from-above suicide trooper, (laughs) which is a pretty lonely mission profile in and of itself. But if you examine the file card and peel back the layers a little bit, this guy is a very overqualified G.I. Joe. I mean, he's a freaking astronaut, okay? He's got a master's in electrical engineering. He's a fighter pilot. He's a ranking chess master. He is a genius. 
And all of these attributes, so says the file card, don't make him any less boring. This is something written by a teammate who's basically saying that Dave Dubosky is a very dull person to be around. And you'd probably be better off not even putting your, uh, your lunch next to him in the canteen. So even on the social environment, the social dimension, not for lack of trying, but Countdown is probably a very lonely Joe. He was untouched by the comic books, untouched by the cartoons. And untouched by a woman? <laughs> Quite possibly. Damn. I see that my childhood Countdown's crotch is slowly but surely starting to crack off. So, yeah, man, it's been lonely. <laughs> Even in terms of his heritage, okay, Dubosky, Russian, Russian immigrant, but quite possibly also Jewish. If you take a look at the figure, pull off his helmet, check out that nose, bro. I'm telling you, this guy's parents probably emigrated to New Jersey or New York in the early 1900s, 1920s, 1930s, when Stalin was brooming all of the Jews out of, out of Russia. And he is a first-generation American uh, from Jersey, but I doubt Clutch is pally-pally with Dave Dubosky. I don't know, man. Maybe I'm reading too much into this character, but it just seems like a pretty lonely spot to take up in the Joe roster. You're not going to put your genius-level astronaut Joe in with an infantry squad. He's got no teammates. Payload had hardtop to crack jokes with. Who does Countdown have? He's up there on Spaceship Joe all alone. Um, That's a lot I, to chew on. One of the things that makes Countdown cool, just from what Steve's been saying now, I mean, I had this toy as well when I was a kid. Like, I mean, I was, what, six, seven, maybe, maybe even younger, maybe five years old. So as much as that file card must have been cool for me at the time, you know, uh, reading all of the, you know, like the accreditations to him, you know, the physics the, or the engineer degree and, and being an astronaut and pilot, etc., an older me would have been able to relate to Countdown not only because I'm a big nerd, but because he is essentially a big nerd. And, I, and I'm sure that, you know, there were, were a lot of indoor kids. And I hate that term, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm just using it to just sum up what I'm trying to say. I'm sure a lot of indoor kids actually related to Countdown, at least indoor kids who are a lot older than I was when they got that figure. In a lot of ways, that figure kind of also appeals to a niche, a niche fan. And I'm sure that there are some of you out there who are listening. So that's a pretty cool pick. And in keeping with the theme of Christmas time, I give you the immortal song from South Park. I'm a Jew, a lonely Jew. I'd be merry, but I'm Hebrew on Christmas. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> My God. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen Jubber, he's here until Thursday. <laughs> Enjoy the meal. Okay, which brings us to my guy. How, how do we move on? That's amazing. Okay. <laughs> You're welcome. So, we've got ah, Deep Six, ah. we've got Countdown. Who's on next? Solo Joe or Cobra? <laughs> so, this whole week it's been about like, okay, so aside from picking something for our topic that's, you know, that's next in line and trying to figure out which one's my favorite art back. I had to figure out which is my favorite sol solitary Joe, and I was like, oh, which ones are these? And I'm like thinking, okay, well, Snake Eyes is a solitary, solitary Joe, but uh, that's kind of on the nose. And 
uh, Outback. I don't know. Outback, we just, we're probably going to speak about Outback first. So I don't want to be like the guy that's like, oh, Outback's my favorite solitary Joe. And, and let's be fair, he's one of them. And then I was like, oh, okay, Cobra. Yeah, there's got to be something in Cobra that I that I really like. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Range Viper. Range Vipers are solitary. Uh, they dropped into the battleground and they're sort of designed to fend for themselves and work autonomously and do their thing. And that's really cool and all. And then it got me thinking of one particular Cobra that I actually really like, and he's a complete oddball, is Crocmaster. Crocmaster is a solitary Cobra figure. Not much in terms of skills or abilities or anything that make him particularly cool but he is essentially he's a named joe i mean he's he's not some faceless dude in a mask well he is kind of but he has a personality there is a character behind him and even the other cobras are kind of like uh you know this guy's cool we need him but we don't really want to deal with him that much and then i quickly like flip through uh the gi joe cobra um issues that i do have and then I was reminded, well, Crocmaster's one freaky motherfucker. And if I was going to choose a solitary Joe, it's got to be this guy. Crocmaster is or was <laughs> a burglar alarm salesman. Okay. And growing up in my household with my dad being uh, a retired police colonel, you know, they used to arrest a lot of security guards um, and a security company people because, you know, these guys run major scams. I'm sure you can you can imagine some of the possibilities. You know, they do a lot of, oh, they trigger the alarm and then they reply to the alarm and they see nobody's home and then they go and rob it, you know. And, and that kind of stuff really does happen. And it happens today still. So I was like, OK, well, this guy's a douchebag <laughs> for starters. So that adds something to him. And he has a penchant for for reptiles and amphibians and he he sort of uh, feels that he relates and that he relates to them in some way or another. So he must feel that he is some kind of cold-blooded predator, and that makes him like super interesting. And and it means that he has some kind of I don't want to say mental illness, but yeah, I, no, I'm gonna say it. He's got some kind of mental illness, and it just gives him such layers. It makes him a really creepy character. Crocmaster for me is is my favorite loner character. He's not on the nose. He's obscure. He's not very likable. He's even more of a loner in the sense that even as a character or as a toy, he's not that liked either. We all have a part of ourselves that can sort of relate to some of these loner characters, especially with us having, you know, toy hobbies or whatever, and not necessarily being super social people. And, and that's cool. And I'm not like, oh, my word, you know, Croc Master is my, my spirit animal. But <laughs> but I can relate to certain elements to him. You know, he's he's so badass, even the bad guys don't want to be around him. Hmm. He unnerves them. I like that pick, Paul. One thing that I could add to that is that, uh, you know, sometimes I'll slap somebody on social media for ignoring me, but I'll give credit where it, when, it, when it's uh, deserved. Uh, I think Christos Gage on Twitter, uh, the writer of that G.I. Joe Cobra series uh, for okay. IDW, he actually t- takes ownership. Uh, when when uh, me and Jim were talking to him on Twitter, uh, him and Christos, who wrote that series, about like the characters and, and how they saw them, uh, Gage said that the only character that he really want, he wanted ownership over was Crocmaster because he just saw him in a certain way and he wanted to portray that. So I, I think that that gives depth to that character. And, and even in that comic series, he'd rather uh, hang out in the sewers 
than be in the Cobra penthouse where the party's at. So that's, that's a good, good, good pick. Uh, and you've just got me thinking now, Crockmaster's kind of Texas Chainsaw Massacre in a weird way. It's like, it's it's probably one of the few times where being in Cobra is probably a good thing for you as a person. Because I can imagine that if Crockmaster wasn't in Cobra, he would be some kind of uh, serial killer. You know, that would uh, probably like eat his victims or or you know ritually murder his victims the same way a crocodile would or something and feed him to the crocs man yeah like yeah yeah it is kind of killer croc-esque but killer croc in in batman is very uh gangsterish and i'm not referring to suicide i'm just saying he's very brute force that kind of thing he's not like a methodical kind of killer whereas i feel croc master would have that sort of serial killer edge croc master looks gimp like a, a mixture between Bane and the Gimp. <laughs> Are you yeah. saying that's a good look or a bad look? It's a disturbing look for my money. I, I, I agree. It's fuck off disturbing, man. <laughs> like, well, dude, you know if you're doing Croc Master, you got to have that scene where his head just slowly rises out of the water to the bridge mm, of his nose. You know you got to have so that one. Creepy. It's so cool that they even mentioned that in the in the file card, you know. He likes to sit in, like, tepid water, you know, just with his nose just above the water. It's creepy, man. Damn. So, just Rob, what do you got, brother? So, my my loner, I mean, I, originally I came up with um, one that I thought was quite easy to choose because, I mean, um, his file code describes him essentially as, as the guy who gets left behind and doesn't even realize he's been left behind because he's so used to being on his own, and that would be Sneak Peek. You know, he just spends so much time on his own out there that he doesn't even realize what he's doing. You know, he's just so focused on what he's doing. I mean, that, that's pretty lonely, I think. But what I thought was even more lonely was a man who is so disconnected from everything around him that in the middle of a firefight, he will stand up and keep his finger squeezed on that trigger of his video camera because he is so disconnected from everything around him and everyone around him. All he cares about is getting that next shot. Who am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about Scoop. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I think Scoop is the ultimate loner. I mean, he just can't connect with anyone. Like, even when he's saving, people are like, you know, they're saying, wow, you know, know, we all hated him initially because he's not really carrying his gun. He's not pulling his weight. But then there was that one time we saved that guy. But then at the same time, they're also saying, like, even while he was saving our teammate, he was still filming the whole way through. <laughs> it's like he just can't put the camera down. He cannot connect with anything around him unless he's filming it. Who's the loneliest guy? It's the guy behind the camera watching everything. He just... It's the guy who tells the truth. Yeah, I know, for sure. He's telling the truth. But, I mean, the truth-sayers, the sooth-sayers are the people set aside from society. They can't get involved with it because they're telling the truth so hard. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, so that, that's my choice, uh, succinctly. It w- would be Scoop. It's a bit self-serving, but it's damn solid. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I suppose we'll just forget about Operation Dragonfire. Well, that's not canon, is it? I mean, other cartoons considered to be canon. I don't know, but I mean, in, in self-same uh, miniseries, uh, Scoop's got a long-time buddy in the form of a Crimson Guardsman. 
who then becomes an Ellie Viper, I don't know. Yeah, it's confusing. Deke was all over the place on that one. I typically go by the file cards, I think, when I'm really trying to understand who a character is. It's a neat extrapolation, and I buy it. That's that's a, a cool fan take. Yeah, I well, think so. not to go back to the, the IDW series again, uh, Scoop is portrayed as quite a lonely person in that series, so that's also very meta, Robert. Nice. Yeah. See, everything supports me, except for Dragonfire, <laughs> but that's fine. I'll figure out a way to, you know, understand why he's a loner. He's such a loner that he'll he'll jump ship from one organization to another because he doesn't really care that much about which side he's on. Uh, I think <laughs> it's something to do with the fact that uh, his parents dying, and it, it it was GI Joe who caused it, but no, it was actually Cobra who caused uh, it. And... Okay, he is confused. <laughs> he's so disconnected. Totally. Cool. Gentlemen, let's do a top five. Oh, it's been <laughs> such a long time. Hold on. Before we rock our top five, because we're probably not going to do Lona Joes again for a long time, and I would I would love to hear if anybody had maybe just one or two runners-up or honorable mentions for Lona Joes. Yeah, well, as I was saying, I said sneak peek. Um, he was a runner for myself um, because, you know, he seems like the quintessential loner. According to his, and, you know, his glowing file card, who I don't think Larry Harmer wrote this one because he sounds like superhuman. He sounds like, oh, he's he's so alone because he's got super hearing and his ability <laughs> to smell things is is off the charts. You can hear into the sub supersonic whatever stuff. I'm like, okay, <laughs> whatever. He's lonely. <laughs> I'm actually surprised that Cujo didn't mention Cobra Commander. Interesting. I'll, I'll talk about Cobra Commander, obviously. But, I mean, like, uh, I just wanted to go kind of what was fresh in my mind. I just read an underwater G.I. Joe story. So I was thinking about Deep Six. It felt right. No, that's no, that, that's totally cool. I, I, Because, I mean, obviously, like I, like I mentioned earlier, characters like Snake Eyes and Outback are kind of on the nose. You know, like everybody's like, oh, they're loners. But Snake Eyes is, is not really a loner. I mean, he's kind of an emo kid. I mean, he he's he's sort of portrays this image of being a loner but he kind of needs scarlet like yeah and and i'm not saying that like a, a, a to be like a dick about the character but scarlet's whole interaction with him shows that he needs her in a in a lot of ways and then at the same time he also needs storm shadow as well so he's not so much a loner as much as he just is somebody who i think wants to be wanted if that makes sense you know so i don't know if i would call him a loner so much and also one of the reasons i didn't go with the range viper is because a range viper's sort of role is to be a loner it's it's not doesn't necessarily mean that as a personality that they are that way inclined yes you would have have to have some kind of inclination to to make it into that kind of squad i get that but at the same time you know there's probably a lot of conditioning that goes into the way he's trained um Outback, Outback is probably a nature type who who enjoys exploring and doing all that kind of stuff alone as a human being. So that evolved into being the thing that he likes doing. I mean, other characters to think about that could possibly be loners, although it's not uh, expressly sort of uh, put in their file cards as Ambush. I mean, Ambush had a, a long history of trying to hide away from his parents, which to me suggests that he's somebody who doesn't like being around um, people. Another character as well that I thought would be interesting for the loner type is Cobra Commander. I mean, uh, that uh, Funny or Die video sums it up really well. One is the loneliest number, but 
you know, Cobra Commander, he's always surrounded by people, but he is essentially a loner. I mean, he has to keep a lot of things to himself to help Cobra pursue its goals or for him to get to his goals. He, he can't really trust anybody. I mean, you know, we all know what it's like to be in a social situation or to be in a situation perhaps at work or whatever where you are surrounded by people 24-7, but you're essentially in a pit of vipers, pun intended. And you can't necessarily trust anybody because everybody wants to fuck you over to get a raise or to get noticed or to to become the project leader or manager of something. So I, I think Cobra Commander in that kind of respect is a loner as well. He does have confidants. I mean, like Storm Shadow, you never you should never see the conversations between Cobra Commander and Storm Shadow. But that he does talk to that dude. Cobra Commander for me works better as an avatar for like an intention. Because he, he, you can't really see him stumble too much, or he's not the villain he needs to be. I mean, I'm an only child. There are a lot of social dynamics, like, as an only child that you don't understand sometimes when you're growing up. Um, and you have certain sensitivities to things. And I, and I don't mean to generalize, but I have found this with other friends of mine that have been, or that are only children, et cetera, et cetera, where sometimes you're more afraid of your own failures being uh, obvious, then, say, for example, whereas other people who have got siblings are used to making a mistake, then having their brothers or sisters, like, grind them about it, and then they get over it. Whereas, you know, us only children tend to be a little bit more sensitive about our failures, maybe take it a bit more to heart or, you know, take it a bit more personally, and don't necessarily like that kind of thing being aired out. So where I relate to Cobra Command in that respect is, like, what you just said now he can't really be allow himself to be seen as weak or as making a mistake. And I think that's a trap maybe a lot of us as people fall into. But uh, it, it's definitely a loner thing. And it's something that I could kind of relate to as well. It really cool, man, I'm done. when Cobra well, Commander reunites with Billy. When Billy comes out of his coma, minus a leg and yeah. minus an eye, and Cobra Commander has an epiphany and wants to throw in the towel, basically, give up on Cobra completely and become the father that he never was to his son. That is perhaps an expression of how lonely his dreams, his aspirations have made him. There was a point where he wanted to kill his own child, and he had then come full circle after that and wanted to atone. Uh, so clearly there had been some build-up of this need, a need for kinship, a need for his flesh and blood. So, exactly. yeah, there, there's definitely credence to the fact that Cobra Commander might just be the loneliest character. Dun, but dun, I'm dun. still going with Countdown. Because hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody likes cool, Countdown. I, I like Countdown. No, no, I, I, I like Countdown. I mean, I'm not saying he's like my favorite or I love him or anything, but I got to say after Steve's, uh, after what Steve mentioned and, and our little chat now, I have a, a very different outlook on Countdown now. And uh, I feel kind of bad for the guy now, you know, because uh, how many people like Countdown have we met in our lives that um, although we wanted to try and relate to them, we, we just can't. And, and it's not because we don't want to. They, they, chess master. I mean... I, I don't think I'd have five things to say to the guy. Anyways, guys, shall we move on from individual characters and dive straight into individual vehicles? Now, the G.I. Joe line was great because it had vehicles 
at a very affordable price point. The single-seater types always came in smaller boxes. They were all of the fun at a much reduced price. But it didn't necessarily mean that they were of a lower quality. Okay, for every trouble bubble, there was, of course, <laughs> a Battlefield Robots Tri-Blaster, which is, for all intents and purposes, a mass-produced piece of garbage. But there are some <laughs> gems in the single-serving category. So, we return to a topic of old, a G.I. Joburg Top 5. And my Top 5 small vehicles go as follows. At number 5, the Snake Armor. It's so unique. It's a one-of-a-kind yes. piece. I do like the eggshell white color, but what sealed it for me was the stickering on this bad boy. The eye goggles and the internal stickers, which had a readout and control panels and this wicked cool, like, I didn't know at the time, but it is basically the brainwave scanner miniaturized into a snake armor for brainwashing its occupant. It's detailed on the box and in the blueprints. It's just so cool that the blueprints gave such such depth and intrigue to what wasn't even a sculpted detail. It was just a sticker. Anyway, so the stickers really set it apart for me and make it uh, number five on my top five. Number four, the ferret. I had this toy as a child. In fact, it was my first vehicle that I ever possessed. Okay, I got it in the Tiger Force variation, but the molding is is exactly the same, and it is one hardy vehicle. In fact, I'd say it's the, one of the toughest G.I. Joe vehicles ever produced. It has rubber tires, it has functional steering, it has suspension of sorts, and, I mean, it's a one vintage vehicle that, to this day, I would have no problem rampaging it through marshes, waterworks, throwing it down mini cliffs. I mean, this thing just bounces back and it's A-OK. -okay. Also, it's got some unique molding. It's it's a beautiful piece and, like I say, hardy as fuck. <laughs> Number three, the jump. Okay, it's just a backpack, right? It's a jetpack. But in 82 and 83, this thing had such fanfare, it came with an accompanying launch pad which just gives you a very firm example of exactly how much care and attention to detail was invested in what is essentially a simple piece of equipment. But back in 82, 83, it had a very involved blueprint, sticker sheet, instructions, a box, labels. It was so wrapped up in its own mythology that it is a very very special piece of equipment, and one that I do not actually own. Sadly, it's the only thing on this list that I don't have, or have not ever had any contact with. So, uh, maybe, maybe, one of these days, but it still makes my top five. At number two, The Locust. It's uh, fitting that a bit of 90s makes its way onto my list, because I am a child of the 90s, but this is a perfectly miniaturized helicopter. It has excellent visibility, great sculpt details, it has features, bomb bay door that releases two little bombs, it has the positional fan, 
But what makes it so fun and perfect for me is that it doesn't try and take on a full-scale helicopter's proportions like the dragon hawk or the fang it is clearly designed to be a miniaturized helicopter it's got no tail it's just got that fan as part of its chassis almost it is what a functional minicopter would look like as far as i can tell <laughs> it seems to make perfect sense to me it is supposed to look stunted and small and miniaturized and basically able to ride on the back of a flatbed Humvee. But the top spot for me is the Skyhawk. And to this end, I have only one word to say which sells it, and that's G-Police. <laughs> uh. <laughs> the Skyhawk is hella fun. Is it a jet? Is it a vertical takeoff and landing craft? Does it matter? It's a one-seater G.I. Joe vehicle that just packs such a punch. I marvel at how many weapons this thing has for its size. Two cannon, two machine guns, two rockets. And it's a pint-sized piece of equipment, which had a fantastic debut in an early issue of the G.I. Joe run. It was in the, the teens. It was illustrated by Russ Heath, who is my favorite G.I. Joe artist. And it is just spectacular in that issue. You have to see it takes out two Fang helicopters and almost claims a uh, claw as well. It's fierce, fast, and ah, so G.I. Joe. It was featured in so many cartoons that uh, you don't need to question its lineage. It's way up there for me. Mm -hmm. On to the next gentleman for uh, single-serving vehicles. Oh, hold on, hold on. The ferret, don't don't let Firefly tell you that's a one-seater. That's all right, brother. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just hold on tight, Storm Shadow. <laughs> What's poking you in the back? <laughs> that's your katana, your wakizashi. <laughs> Rob? Yes, what were my top fives? Well, I'm glad you asked. Asked. Uh, asked. Asked. Are you calling asked. an ass? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you haven't asked. <laughs> okay, so... Says the sweetest things. My number five, which I probably a lot of people already know because I've probably mentioned it a couple of times, is the Buzzball. Come Scoop! <laughs> Scoop, there's no vehicle called Scoop. Unfortunately, I there can't... There should be. <laughs> and you better remember it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the Buzzball. I think the Buzzball is ridiculous, but it looks awesome. It's just the concept of this thing, you know, barreling through the ground somehow and coming up somewhere and these guys, you know, kamikazing them their way into you know, enemy troops. This is pretty cool. Um, so that's my number five. Number four is a trouble bubble. Hold on, hold on. You're gonna you're gonna run past the buzz four that quick? Did uh, <laughs> did did the buzz four elevate because of its appearance in the video game? Did did that do anything for you? For me, well, well, personally, I never really played the video game that much, but um, I have since seen it in there, and um, I think I do appreciate it a bit more because of the video game. Well, I appreciate the video game more because the buzzball is in the video game. I don't appreciate <laughs> the buzzball from the video game because they're so damn difficult to destroy. Oh, that boss. I can never get past it. Stand in the middle, jump and shoot. Use your yeah, grenades. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Even I figured that out, and I've never even played the game. Don't make Steve feel like an asshole. <laughs> no, I'm trying to mean, we're making ourselves feel like assholes. Isn't that what you mean? 
Yes. We're not an asshole for yes. not being able to do it. We're assholes for, for you know, berating him oh. for not being able to do it. Old That's school right. gaming makes me feel stupid. Oh. <laughs> how, did, how did it happen, gentlemen? How did it happen? Steven gets a bad at video games. We don't know. He's always been bad at video games. Except for Tony Hawk. This this was actually a Steven video game intervention episode. That, that, that <laughs> was I didn't get that memo. Help me, guys. <laughs> but what? But dude, the buzz board. Sometimes you gotta you gotta go go down to to be victorious. Sometimes. You gotta go down to get up. You know. You do. You do. It, it's a it's a fact. It's a fact. And the buzz board is awesome. It just looks interesting. I think that's it's one of the most unique smaller vehicles. I mean, a lot of them are basically like little. You know, like. Like four wheelers or something that you find on a farm somewhere that you give to your kids, you know, like the ferret. Um, <laughs> I remember when I gave my kid a ferret. <laughs> oh, guys, remember I, I I traded my ferret in for a mask vehicle. It was Condor, uh, which is the green bike that transforms into a helicopter. All right, the the fang of of mask, <laughs> but <laughs> to make it fair, because Condor obviously came with uh, Brad Turner, the little minifigure. Obviously. I gave this guy <laughs> Charbroil with Topside's backpack. Whoa. And Tomax's gun. Nice. You you really cycled him. <laughs> you know what? A, you tried a mixed bag of bullshit accessories. I mean, you can't put together a single complete anything with that. Uh, it was a sad day, actually, giving up my first G.I. Joe vehicle. You really wanted that mask, though. But I knew early on that I was a vehicle guy. And why is that? I used to never put a figure on the vehicle. I would just, like, drive the vehicle around <laughs> without a figure, take the vehicle on road trips, sit with it on the back seat, no figure. Because those damn handles were so thick. They would snap a fucking <laughs> figure's thumbs off if you tried. Did you ever try, like, riding it? Like, not, like, sitting on it, but, you're, like, you sat there, like, behind the bike, and you had the little handles in your hand, you're like, Nyeh. What, like, straddling no, not, with my index finger? Not all of us went to the crusty clown school. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I used to do that kind of shit with, like, other motorbike toys, so, you know. If I put a figure on and it couldn't hold its handles, I used to sort of hold its little hands on there, and then, like, I'd be, like, behind it, going, <laughs> Yeah. Well, it was necessary with the ferrets so that you could position that uh, front-mounted cannon, you know, because it was linked to the steering. Yeah. What could mm. be number four? What could possibly be number four? What could beat the buzzball? Well, I think the trouble bubble beats it. Somebody had to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think this is the only one I own on my list, actually. Do I own a buzz <laughs> trouble bubble? Yeah, know. yeah. Oh, I do. You okay, do? cool. Just checking. It's got much clearer glass than mine. Yes. Or because they're so straightforward and simple, you just put a dude in there and he, he flies off in it, you know. Or you can put a bomb in it. I, I gotta call you out on this one, Robert. If I'm not mistaken, I think that there were two dudes in a trouble bubble in a recently mentioned cartoon series. I want to say Sergeant Slaughter and Doctor Mindbender, both in a trouble bubble. Yeah. However. You can't do that with the toy, though. It's just weird. Like, I think the, that trouble bubble just happened to be a bit bigger in the cartoon. Everything's bigger in the cartoon, brother. Ain't that the truth? Because, I mean, the one in the cartoon is more like if you're going to go on one of those uh, Ferris wheels. You know, you're, like, you're sitting side by side together, fighting each other. Oh, no, it was single-seater, brother. Dr. Minderbender was, was certain of that. 
But the real one, no, it's it's a single figure configuration. Either that, or you can put a bomb in it and you just fly it away. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah. I'm gonna, I'll make another one. Cause it's cheap and it's tiny. I don't know what the box looked like, but I imagine it was a very very small box. Couldn't it have been bigger than like an actual figure, probably wider, like a square square box. Maybe. I never got to tell you guys this, but um, I once went to a theme park in Seoul, South Korea, and there was this ride outside, which was like a long cylinder hmm. and various arms uh, protruding out of the cylinder. So the they the arms would raise and lower up and down the cylinder, and you'd be at the end of one of these arms, but the seat that you were on was a trouble bubble as far you know it, okay it wasn't a real trouble bubble but it had a domed uh perspex see-through portion that went over your head and you would hold on to the handles in front of you which were much like the steering column on a trouble bubble so i i had the biggest thrill riding this ride through the skies of south korea <laughs> imagining i was riding on a, a trouble bubble it was it was very cool you're like armies of the night. <laughs> Evil taking flight. Cobra, Cobra. Give me any opening for a show tune. <laughs> <laughs> this guy will sing anything. Number three, Robbie. <laughs> okay, my my number three would be the, the Fang One. Also, something else I don't earn. But I really like the detailing mm. in this thing. You know, like it's it's obviously an unrealistically proportioned helicopter. As Stephen pointed out when he was he was you know sort of fanboying over the locust. But it just looks cool. <laughs> it looks kind of fun. You know, it looks. You know, the dude's in there. He's got the cannon at the front. He's got a couple of missiles as well, and the color scheme is good. It's all black. Um, I like all black. So, yeah. Can I tag team this one with you? Yeah, please do. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, dude, you also got the nose gun. Not too many guns in the Joeverse can rotate like that, so you can shoot around corners and stuff. And I know that's my pick, because also, if you want to get versatile, you can borrow Serpentor's snake, and you can just kind of hover over a battlefield, drop snakes on people, a la Mad Max. So no, the Fang is my pick, my my top spot, just just so you know. Mm-hmm. I'm glad about that. That kind of pushes it from like three on mine to like number two on my list, probably. Hmm. If you're about to buy the farm, you can just drop the bomb and ride off on it. <laughs> Strange you'll love. Have, you'll have to time it, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> but how? Okay, it's a pretty stressful thing if if you're going to be using that cannon to to shoot in various directions. I mean, okay, helicopter controls are a ball ache as it is. Yeah, you've got the cyclic in your right hand, the collective in your left, and your feet are on the oar pedals. So how are you controlling the direction of the gun? It's voice activated. All right. Nice. Your voice is going to be able to carry over the sound of the engine right behind you and the (laughs) propeller blades right above your head. Yes. That's another problem with helicopters. They're fucking noisy. (laughs) Cobra specs. Yeah, just put your battle android troopers in the fang. Oh, too bad they're like uh, still about three years off. And for being such a small toy, the whole thing is an action set piece. I mean, the rotors can take off somebody's lid at any point. <laughs> yeah, the pilots. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, dude. It's not for the faint of heart. 
Or the toll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't don't ride in that thing, Ricondo. Don't do that. <laughs> so my number two is one that I've always admired the the box art of. <laughs> um, and that would be the Ram. The Ram is cool because it comes with a giant Vulcan cannon. That obviously, once again, doesn't make any sense because how does he drive and fire this thing at the same time? But it's pretty awesome, and it's a bike. And I think it also suggests a lot of other things, you know, kind of like a loneliness to the character, like he's riding out there on his own on his bike, and he's trying to get somewhere really quickly and shoot it up. And I think that's pretty awesome. But um, what makes a bike even more cool, kind of breaking the, I suppose, a slightly implicit or... It was actually pretty well implied earlier in the episode. Uh, one one seated vehicle um, would be the Silver Mirage because why well, have one person on a bike when you can have two, and that's pretty cool. And it still has a gun. Is that your number one? That's my number one. Whoa! Silver, Silver Mirage. It's the one that breaks all the rules. Did not see that coming. You couldn't see it coming. I know. <laughs> that's fine though. Like a Silver Mirage. <laughs> yes. I mean, it has a gun and it has a place for the, another dude to sit, and you can and has missiles and it's silver. It just, it's like the so, RAM, but better. So, someday somebody's going to make a synthwave track about the Silver Mirage. Someday. someday. It's going to have a very French feel. Nice. At least that's what I imagine. Spike suggests so much more than, you know, other vehicles, I think. You know, the kind of the open road and the scenery, where you're going. And this is like you're taking your friend with you. That's pretty cool. I think that's awesome. What if you don't have a friend? Oh, well, then you just have extra <laughs> space for luggage. More room for snacks. Yes. I like it. Over to you, Paul. Uh, my criteria for choosing my vehicles, especially for the small vehicles, was I either had to own it or I've had to have it, like, played with it. Like, actually had it, like, in my hands and, and messed around with it. So none of the stuff on my list are, are things that I haven't played with or don't own. So, starting with number five, the Cobra Claw. The Cobra Claw is awesome. It is, it, is, it is one of the most unassuming small vehicles in the sense that, at first glance, it just seems like a plastic set of wings with a handle, and, and that's where you want to leave it at. And it kind of is that if you buy the modern era incarnation of it, but... If you have the, if you've ever had the pleasure of messing around with the vintage version, well, then you'll find it has myriad features in the form of removable panels. Um, it has a great little landing, um, you know, strut with little wheels on that give it a like a bit of a hang glider feel. It, um, the details, in my opinion, are slightly uh, crisper because the plastic is a better plastic. And if I was a kid and I got a Cobra Claws because I managed to nag my mother out of it. Uh, for like 50 bucks or whatever it must have been back in the day, I would have been like a pig and shit with this thing because it is a very cool and versatile little toy. Don't forget the the uh, moving ailerons. Yes. Yes, I do forget about them because they're not in the modern era and the last time I handled the vintage one was about three years ago when you got yours. Little rocket Entire- and a bomb. Hey, what a fun thing. Mm. And Cobra definitely sort of had the um, the monopoly on the on the drone market because uh, they give you that that bomb, uh, but my modern brain says that is an AI, some kind of brain to to fly that thing around by itself. Imaginations are wonderful things. So Cobra Claws comes in at number five. 
Number Can I four. step into that one for a second? Yeah, step in it. Um, well, dude, you can definitely do. <laughs> Why is that Jesus. so funny? You can definitely do like a. Sorry, go ahead, Stephen. No, carry on, man. <laughs> I just found it very amusing. We both found it very amusing. <laughs> Paul just said, "Step in it." pile of cobra shit. All good. No, I, um, you can definitely do a uh, a winged jetpack wrong. I, I believe uh, anybody who's watched the new Spider-Man trailer can tell you that. But uh, no, I, I like the claw because there's so much implied gi joe mythology around it if if you remember um at the end of the silent interlude i want to say snake eyes is holding on to uh scarlet as she rides off on a claw am i wrong yeah so that's i mean that's like the first moment that you're like oh okay there's something going on or actually probably before that but i i remember that being a great takeaway from that issue um the claw the claw is always around when people are doing cool stuff in the gi joe universe always Mm. i like it Mm, planting time bombs on statues of liberties. <laughs> mm-hmm. A- anybody else need to weigh in? Or are we good? Oh, it's a solid pick, man. Beautiful. I am cool. a fan of that white color for Cobra stuff. Trouble so bubble, snake, uh, claw. It's all good in my book. I miss that aesthetic so much as well because it's a very sexy, very Cobra thing to do. And... Coming in at number four is the Ghost Hawk. And I don't mean the Skyhawk that's been renamed as a Ghost Hawk. I mean the modern closed canopy Ghost Hawk that came out in, I think it's uh, 2011 or 2012. Uh, maybe even earlier. 20- is, that, is that the Ghost Hawk? The Ghost Hawk, yeah. Oh. The, it's very like sort of techno. It's a Joe vehicle. It's, a, it's basically the Skyhawk where they've changed the uh, VTOL engines on the back uh, to represent a more sort of modern sci-fi kind of uh, design in the engine. And the canopy is closed. It's a completely closed canopy. Um, It sort of alludes to having a stealth quality to it. It, um, Like the Skyhawk, it is also armed to the teeth and has a very cool chain gun, actually. Uh, This was my first real blush with something that's like the Skyhawk. So... It became an instant fave in my hand when I took it out of the box. And and if you guys go back a few episodes, you will hear me sing its praises. I love the aesthetic. I I think it's a it's a great design. It shows you that the Skyhawk itself is a very cool design. And in this reviewer's opinion, it's a great modernization of a classic. And and it's a vehicle that I've had a lot of fun with. I mean, the the best thing about the small vehicles, I'm sure all of you guys can agree, is that you can hold it in one hand and and, and sort of get a lot of um, play out of it. You know, it's very easy to hold you know, something like Skyhawk or, in this case, the Ghost Hawk around while you're chasing a vamp or a hiss or a cobra bug or something with the other hand. You know, it, it's it's really cool for that. And um, I love the details in it. It's got some great um, stickers in the inside. The cockpit HUD is fantastic. I love those engines on the back. I suppose if you wanted to nitpick, there are some issues here and there with um, pilot accommodation, with the way they have to sit. But uh, it's something that I would love to have in real life as a, as a ghost hawk. The coolest aspect for me, you, you touched on the, the fact that the, the canopy has kind of been blanked out. But then mm. there's that one panel that's still left transparent red. Yeah. And that's just so cool. 
It's essentially like an armored up Ghost Hawk or Skyhawk, but it's got that one panel that's still still transparent, and they've they've done it in red plastic, so it's yeah, it's it's cool, and as you say, gives it a a stealth quality. It's smart tooling. It, it it's sort of 2008, 2009 uh, Hasbro at their best, at their finest. Kind of when I was really spending a lot of money on GI Joe, and and it just it was a great acquisition. I love it. It definitely moves away from what I like to regard as a semi-Vietnam styling of the Skyhawk. You know, Skyhawk has a very Vietnam-era-esque, you know, sort of design uh, aesthetic to it. It's very bare-bones military approach, which is also cool in its own respect. But coming in at number three is, and <laughs> anybody who's a an avid listener of the show knows that one of these vehicles are going to end up in one of my top fives. But uh, the Tiger Fish. And why the tiger fish over the devil fish? Well, uh, my buddy had a tiger fish, and I, it was always relegated to me. I was always the guy that got the tiger fish, and it's a great little boat. It's it's kind of it's it's a miniature speedboat. I mean, it, yes, it's a devil fish, but this one's in yellow and black, and it's ready to attack. And I've had a lot of fun with it. And and I remember that uh, when I when I borrowed it, I, I had the opportunity to bring it home and play with it at home and stuff a lot. And you could remove the little um, propeller covers, and they had some like minimal engine detail in there, and and that was a nice surprise. That was a feature I didn't even think was there at first. I thought I broke it, but then I realized, oh, they kind of are meant to come apart. I mean, it was a little effort, but and you know they move um, simultaneously. It's a it's a very uh, basic figure, but once again, or basic vehicle, but once again, if you had to nag your mom or your dad while well, you were in a toy shop and you got this you get a lot of bang for your buck. Plus, uh, me- if memory serves, it does float in water. So it's always nice when a toy boat floats in water. Moving on to the to number two, um, and this was, it, this was technically my first G.I. Joe vehicle, but only by a few minutes, <laughs> the Fang 2. I, I've said the story a lot of times. I went to uh, a Dion's with my mom long ago because I'd seen a G.I. Joe Warthog was in the catalog. And, you know, my mom was like, cool, you know, we'll go through. And they had the Warthog there and they had the Fang too. And there was some kind of special where if you bought both of them, you also got a bag of marbles. But I think the Fang too ended up being cheaper. And that day I walked out with one big shit-eating grin because I got both the Fang too and the Warthog. And it was great because they were at odds with each other. One was an aerial vehicle and the other one was a ground-based vehicle. But they were both equipped to take each other out. Plus, the Fang 2 is a VTOL. This was my first real experience with something like a VTOL. I mean, other than having a Harrier, a metal-scale Harrier, which I didn't really know was a VTOL when I was a kid. Uh, It was just a jet. So this Fang 2 could actually like hover like a helicopter and it could fly like a jet. And it was cool. So it's still today... um, uh, it's something that I regard as a very cool little vehicle. Once again, you can hold it in one hand, and it looks pretty tasty when you throw a heat viper in there. I love the uh, the instrument panel sticker, how it has like an oh. ammo uh, readout. That was a nice touch. Yes, and it's also got the artificial horizon. It's sort of at a Dutch tilt. It's like uh, tilted to uh, in a diagonal. So it's kind of like if you want to go by the readout, you constantly flying this thing in a half roll <laughs> so, you know i feel like the, the one of the only missteps on that vehicle is is the propellers they should be silver not red for some reason it clowns up the whole aesthetic i i think i like the red plastic aesthetic to it i mean sadly, on the propellers I, though 
yeah, like I'm totally cool with it. And those propellers spin really well. Let's put it this way. I sadly only have a part of the main fuselage um, left. But I mean, it's it's to shit. Uh, and I think I've got one of the red missiles still from it. And, and that sort of is the sum total of what's left of my Fang 2. Incidentally, it has two stickers from He-Man. There's a He-Man jet that has got a, it's like, it's, a, it's essentially, it's a bird head or it's like an eagle head or something. Um, and it has stickers for its thrusters. I, as a kid, never used those stickers, but I popped them onto my fang underneath the wings and they're still there. So that's, you know, unmistakably mine. But yeah, I like them red propellers. I think they look great. I'm not a big fan of silver color on stuff unless the whole plane is silver. And then coming in at number one is the G.I. Joe Locust. Yes, Steve has said some of its finer qualities already. Uh, the only thing I can really add to that is that I had this as a kid. It was David's that he got from friends in Canada, and then it ended up in my hands, and it was my go-to G.I. Joe Hilo. It was the the little vehicle that I used to, to blow up my Cobra bug and, and fly around in and, and transport troops in and... At one point, and I'm actually sorry that I'm only remembering this shit now, but at one point I tied a rope, I tied a little string to it so that I, it had an artificial winch. Because at the time I was playing a lot of um, a game called Jungle Strike on the Sega Genesis uh, for American listeners and Sega Mega Drive for our uh, European and Japanese listeners, if there are any Japanese listeners. And I used to recreate a lot of that. In fact, uh, Desert Strike and Jungle Strike sort of, uh, showed me how to fly a helicopter, if that makes sense. Like, it showed me how helicopters really work. And that locust was, well, it was in my hand. It was kind of like playing a video game with the toy. So so the locust is, is way up there. I still personally think it's one of the best small G.I. Joe vehicles. Well, by this list, it is the best small G- vehicle, in my opinion. So. And yeah. it is G.I. Joeberg's forthcoming YouTube uh, review. And it will be done by uh, Paul, in fact. Yeah, yeah. Paul stepping into the reviewing game, uh, and we're all looking forward to seeing that one. And for the time of this recording, but obviously if you're listening to this in 2018 or something, enjoy that video. <laughs> it's old news. Go hit up uh, G.I. Joeberg's YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, subscribe, comment. I mean, we love your comments. Like, really, really, we do. We love your comments. They're amazing. Especially you haters. Oh, I love you guys. Oh, yeah, but yeah, haters got to hate. And then I want to throw in some of my, my quick runners up. I'm sure I'm going to mention some of your runners up here in the same list. Once again, the runners up are going to have vehicles in there that I haven't played with and haven't owned as well, but have wanted to own them or have had my eye on them for a very long time. Uh, we'll start with the first runner up, which is the Buzzball. And believe me, it was very close to getting into the list. I own a Buzzball. I don't have it in its full, complete glory. I need to actually get on that and get the rest of its accessories. But the Buzzball is a pure video game thing. I saw it in the video game. I didn't think that that was really a G.I. Joe vehicle until David actually was like, no, that's a Buzzball. So I was like, oh, what the fuck's a Buzzball? And he's like, no, it's it's a toy. And my child imagination was like, oh, wow, this thing must be incredible. Until I eventually saw it and was like, oh, okay, it's actually quite small, but it's a really cute little vehicle. And I actually think every Joe fan has to have it, including you guys, because it's it's tons of fun. And, and I think it's a very simple construction that works fairly well. Another one is the Shark. The Shark is something that I've wanted for a long time. I still want to get myself a Shark. 
I would like to play with it, though, first off, and that's why it's not on my list. I haven't played with it, but I love the aesthetic. I love its use in the Sunbow cartoon, even though it's, um, its abilities are sort of enhanced. It's a great vehicle, though. Well, it's a great design. It's very space-age. Another one is the Ram. Now, I had a Ram. Uh, I had the privilege of having a modern-era and a vintage-era Ram, and the vintage-era Ram is actually from Action Force. Um, I think it's the Z-Force version of it. And I had tons of fun with those little guys. I had Lady J and Chuckles riding shotgun. I must say, I picked it up on many occasions and rode it along the desk and, and had little adventures where Lady J and Chuckles were taking out Cobra spies and, and moving plans and things around. It, it's a fantastic vehicle. It didn't make it on my list because I don't own it and because I have much stronger attachments to what on my top five. And the last two, and I'm just going to go over these quickly, the night landing craft, that uh, Zodiac sexy little uh, boat, uh, probably one of the most realistic things in the G.I. Joe toy line. And realistically scaled too, for the most part. Uh, I only recently got one now. It's technically the modern era version, but really it's just a vintage version repressed. A cool vehicle. If you can get your hands on it, get one, get two, get four, and send in your, your SEAL teams or even better, your Cobra saboteurs. If you're lucky and like me, you get a great little weapons box, but I don't know if I can consider that a feature of the vehicle. And lastly, Trouble Bubble. Uh, Rob said it. Uh, a Trouble Bubble is something I have to own. It is iconic. It is a iconic G.I. Joe or Cobra vehicle, should I say. It is something I really, 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 really want. And that's my list. Uh, I will add oh, maybe one or two comments real, real quick. Like I always like the getaway bike on the Killer Whale. It is kind of, we were just talking about the crusty cycle. It is tiny, and it does make for humorous situations on the battlefield. But how boss is it to have your boat wrecked, and then you get away on a moped, and, and the Cobras are just... <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, the getaway car. Possible motorcycles do have a precedent in battlefield situations. Ooh. <laughs> All right, I'll take your word. I've seen one yeah, no. in a museum. I've seen it. Oh, dude! If you can get from one place to another quickly, yeah, no. So that's that's my that's my solo ride. I'll, I'll take that off the battlefield. That's all I got, gentlemen. Hmm. Uh, I suppose it was a little bit late for you, but the uh, wind up and go uh, vehicle action packs had a a tricycle, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, so if you liked the the getaway bike on the whale, maybe you have a soft spot for that. Came out in uh, no, sir. But I did enjoy your review. Oh, cheers. Yeah, no, I, I, mini bike for me. And if you can put one of those depth charges under your arm, all the better. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Because then you are a weapon. Um, yeah. The uh, Mini bike with a depth charge in the backpack. That's how I roll. Mini bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In uh, G.I. Joe, if you put the word tiger in front of anything, that's already one of the coolest things. So that's a little bit of a yeah. cheat, Paul. That's According to Paul, at least. I was like looking at uh, all of the toy lines and I was just uh, all of the years, and I was just like, oh, I just want to just make sure that I've got all of the vehicles covered, like kind of thing, especially for my notable mentions, which, you know, I think I'm becoming infamous for, um, at least in Steven's eyes. Um, I but, said uh, nothing. <laughs> I know. Infamous? I, I, are celebrated. I'll hear it tomorrow. <laughs> There's like a, a tiger hawk, which is a, a a tomahawk in tiger deco, and 
I gotta say, I, I, it, I, I'm, I'm actually sold, you know, on it. I, I would get it, you know, if I didn't have to pay out of my ass for it, I would, I would do that, because I kind of like how they've done it. It's, it's a good little deco, redeco of it, because Tiger Force does make things cooler. It's also worth mentioning that if you're a GI Joe, you're never alone. So there's no, there's no loner Joes. You can always reach out and and touch us appropriately online. Oh, I suppose on the topic of loner Joes and things like that, I'm sure many of our listeners have noticed that our Facebook page is now a Facebook group. Uh, it's also a closed group, uh, which uh, we've been told is actually really beneficial for a lot of you guys who may or may not want your G.I. Joe fandom to find its way in the social feeds of your friends, family and co-workers. So um, if that's your thing, feel free to send us a message and join our group. I think if I had to just put on one condition, I'd love to hear why you would like to be part of our group. If it gives you the option and uh, photos of your G.I. Joes in your profile pics would also be, or not in your profile pics, but if you have albums or something with G.I. Joes in there, uh, it would be cool. uh, Because aside from really awesome G.I. Joe fans, you know, there are some pretty like creepy, you know, non-G.I. Joe fans out there. We might want to get onto our page and be haters and things like that. So we we, we want to avoid that kind of thing. Mm, And speaking more on the topic of reaching out to us appropriately via social media, I'd like to once again mention good old hooded Cobra Commander 788, who got talking with me uh, through our Facebook, I believe. Uh, We then started emailing one another and ultimately collaborated on a YouTube review or debate more like, which posed the all-important question, who is the best G.I. Joe mountaineer? Is it Alpine or is it hit and run? Hooded Cobra Commander took uh, the old school route and rooted for Alpine. G.I. Joeberg took hit and run under its arm. And uh, we let the, the viewers decide. I'm very pleased to announce that in spite of Alpine being an old school figure with numerous cartoon and comic book appearances, some people really find favor for Hit and Run, and that's really cool by me. It was an interesting debate. Uh, Good points obviously raised on both sides. Better points raised by G.I. Joburg, of course. (coughs) But as I say, the comments thread are an interesting read, and I'd really like to do some more of that eventually. Yeah. Uh, I second that. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun watching that, actually, and I had a good chuckle here and there. You uh, listeners, uh, if you guys get to check it out, you'll see what I mean. What was that pool that you were sitting in? Please tell me that was, like, just random pool on the side of the road. Brackish water. He just got into some dirty brackish water somewhere. <laughs> Beautiful. That's dedication. Well, I wanted yeah, to well, do that. that now croc- he's dying. I wanted to do that Crocmaster slash Apocalypse Now uh, Martin Sheen getting out of the water, you know, in the stagnant pool with camo paints all over his face, that kind of like creepy shit. But actually, that was on vacation, if you want to call it that. I did a weekend getaway with my girlfriend. Oh. Um, and we went to this place <laughs> in the mountains called the, the Mountain Sanctuary Park, and they had these beautiful rock pools. Uh, and I thought, hey, what the hell? Let me. <laughs> Put some camo paint on my face because I just happen to like carry that with me everywhere I go. Yeah, just happen to. And nicely done, brother. Climb into the pool, uh, or climb out of it, as it were. Uh, but you know, I like my motivation with the YouTube reviews specifically is to show 
G.I. Joe toys in situ. I don't want to ever shoot, well, I don't want to ever again shoot in a stuffy studio. I want to always take a desert vehicle into a desert or a mountaineering character up into the mountains uh, or a jet into the sky. So I will always try and be geographically specific. Uh, and I think it makes for an interesting watch. Uh, you know, if, oh, our works, words, if, if our words aren't interesting enough, uh, at least perhaps our photography is. Uh, interesting eye candy. I certainly have a blast doing it. It feels like I'm playing with my toys again, which is wonderful and sorely missed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's the closest yeah. I come to playing with my toys anymore, making videos about them. Boo hoo hoo. At least we play with our toys, and that's what kind of makes us. That's that's what makes us kind of legit. You know, we're not just sitting here trying to be highbrow. We we actually coming from a place of hey, we actually play with these things. And I don't know, Paul. Can't you smell my denial? It's like I podcast about these toys. I make videos about them, but do I actually play with them anymore? Yeah, it's difficult to kind of you know fly your jet in the garden if your neighbors kind of see you in the garden it's a little bit like you know awkward and stuff totally but i mean the thing is i played with that ram and i don't smell denial in you at all because you always bring your toys up it's not like you it's not like you leave them behind it's not like you just bring shit to show me you've actually brought stuff up here that i didn't even know you had up here and you were obviously playing with that shit you know and and isn't taking photos of our toys and and putting them in situ Playing with our toys anyway? I mean, there's no lie there. Oh, no narrative is my problem. Get you a podcast that can do both. That's what we do. We're deep in the game. We're on every level. Do something. So, we did it, everyone. We did it. We, we discussed our favorite Lonely Joes. Uh, we talked about five incredible vehicles that are really tiny. And and we said how awesome Outback is with his grandpa hair and his real red hair. I think this has been a success. Thanks to everyone for joining us. I'm Robert. I'm Stephen. And I'm Paul, waiting for my toys in the mail. As are many. And I'm Special Missions, so you know I'm going to be lurking. Chance, I think this is a wrap on 78. I've had a blast. It's been a packed agenda. It's been a fun agenda. Wishing every single one of our friends out there a very, very good festive season. Hopefully not too lonesome. But remember, if you are spending the holidays alone, you've got G.I. Joburg. And G.I. Joburg's got you. And Countdown's up there in space, keeping his keepers <laughs> on you and keeping you safe at night. Scoop's rolling a camera somewhere. And hey, Outback, mm, he's probably eating his animal companion. Uh, <laughs> and he'll hand you a, a sliver if you're if you're feeling hungry. Croc Master probably isn't cooking up crocodile meat, but um, he's feeding something to his crocs. Or someone. <laughs> I got a special mission. A uh, special mission for Jim Godfrey. Yeah, special mission is actually kind of the thing. And I know special missions are your thing, Cujo, but mm. we also have operatives in in the UK. Jim uh, likes to uh, listen to our uh, our holiday podcast while he is preparing his Christmas dinner for Christmas Day. So, uh, Jim, you know, just from the, the, the boys here at G.I. Joburg, you have done us a serious solid. Uh, so we feel we have to reciprocate with uh, don't fuck up with making dinner okay, <laughs> in your new kitchen or your wife will kill you. <laughs> just a friendly tip from your friends in G.I. Joburg.
I hope you have uh, some really good gravy, man, because that white meat gets really dry. Uh, he's, dude, he's got sauce. Are you have you've seen his customs? He's 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 all right. Um, he got he's tapped in, man. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, 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 may, may your gammon glaze be sweet, sticky, and sweet and sticky. <laughs> <laughs> too far, too far. <laughs> and so that's it, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed this wonderful episode, uh, episode 87 or 78. Either one, it could be either, probably 78. And yeah, we'll 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 hear you on the next one, or you'll hear us, probably. Nice. Maybe we should sign off with an Alan Rickman quote, because oh. 2016 claimed him. Unfortunately, this year's been. Uh, one heck of a year in terms of people shuffling off this mortal coil, but, uh... Six points off Gryffindor, Harry! <laughs> I was gonna go more with the... Uh, ho, ho, ho. Now I have a machine gun. Except he didn't, though. He was <laughs> quoting... It's him quoting McLean. Yeah, man, it's quotations. Oh, upon quotations. Delayed eggs. Quotationception. Oh! <laughs> if you're still in Joburg... Keep your eyes open, dropping a Christmas uh, Synthwave album, uh, free download. It's Cantina Wave. I'm going to take you back to Star Wars 1977. That's all. Merry Christmas, guys. And a Happy New Year. Good night, G.I. Joe Burgers.